0: Well, amen. Take your Bibles today and turn with me to Habakkuk and chapter number one, Habakkuk chapter number one. Remember what we've already looked at. Habakkuk's cried out to God and asked God to intervene in what he saw in the sin of Judah. And God responded in a way that just absolutely floored Habakkuk. Can you say, what did God say? Well, remember this morning what God said. He said, well, he said, I'm going to raise up another nation. They're going to be stronger than you are. They're going to be swifter than you are. They're going to be more violent than you are. And I'm going to use them as my tool of grace in your life. And now you think, as I said this morning, that God's trying to get Habakkuk's focus on Babylon. Well, no. God was trying to get Habakkuk's focus on God. Because God was trying to teach Habakkuk about who he was, about what he was going to do, and about how he worked. And then after God gives this revelation to Habakkuk, then Habakkuk responds. Now, I want you to see as we read the text, Habakkuk's focus right now is on God, at least partly. And I want you to see that with me as we begin reading in verse 12. He said, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, mine holy one? We shall not die. The Lord, O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment, and, O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art purer eyes than to behold evil, and cannot look on iniquity. Wherefore, lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devour the man that is more righteous than him, and makes men as fishes of the sea and as creeping things that have no ruler over them. They take up all of them with angle and they catch them in their net and they gather them in their drag, therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they sacrifice unto their net and burn incense unto their drag and because by them their portion is fat and their meat plenteous. And then Habakkuk closes out with a question for God. He said, shall they therefore empty their net and not spare continually to slay the nations. Can I paraphrase? He said, God, are you not going to step in and help us? Father, I just pray now that you would speak to us through your word for your glory in Jesus' name. And all God's children said. One of the things as you look at this passage on Habakkuk, one of the things you got to understand about the prophet Habakkuk, it is this. There's one thing you got to be reminded of. Habakkuk has not lost his faith in who God is. All he's done is be bewildered at the way God works. It's not a matter of him losing his faith in who God is. But he got very confused about the way God's going to work. Now, I entitled this, When God is Confusing. Now, you understand that the Bible says God is not confusing at all. God's not the author of confusion. Would you agree with that? Say amen. So you say, well, preacher, why would you use a title when God's confusing? Because here's the reality. God's not confusing. But when you and I, through our fleshly mind, try to figure out what God's doing, it'll be confusing to us. And that's what's happened to Habakkuk. He's very much confused by the way God has determined to work. And so he's crying out for God to intervene and do something about the sin of Judah. God said, hey, I've been doing something all along, look around. And here's what I'm going to do. And Habakkuk goes, wait a minute, (laughs) wait a minute. How many of you have ever asked God of something and all of a sudden God answers it in a way that you didn't really care about? Well, that's kind of what Habakkuk is experiencing here. Habakkuk is experiencing the answer of God in a way that Habakkuk really didn't like, really didn't care about at all. And even though he hadn't questioned the character of God, not at all, matter of fact, he's going to exalt the character of God here in just a moment in his complaint. But yet he very much questions God, what are you really up to? Why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? Why did you raise up another nation to come against Israel? And this is really the essence of of Habakkuk's complaint here in verse 12 through 17. Look at some aspects uh, that Habakkuk used to try to appeal to God. The first thing he did is he dealt with the covenant of God. You find that in verse 12. He said, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one. So when Habakkuk used this term, Art thou not from everlasting, he's referring back to the covenant that God made through Abraham to Israel. He said, now wait a minute, God. He said, this was a covenant you made to yourself, unto yourself. Not based upon Israel, not based upon Abraham, but a covenant you made to yourself. God, aren't you everlasting? Aren't you the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow? And so why are you allowing this nation to be rising up to come against and literally pull Israel out of the land if you've made a covenant with us? So in other words, Habakkuk's not questioning the character of God, but Habakkuk's concerned or confused about the covenant of God. He said, God is this, not you are, but is this, contradictory to your covenant? The answer to that question is absolutely not. Matter of fact, I would say to you this, that what God was doing was going to help fulfill the covenant one day. Because God's going to deal with Israel in a way to get them to a place of repentance. Because listen, in the state they were in, when Habakkuk was crying out to God in verse 1 through 4, God couldn't work in and by and to the people of Israel. They would not going to let him. Because they had determined to walk in their own ways. And so God was going to do whatever it took. Remember this morning, his willingness to do whatever it takes to work repentance in his children's lives. Now, I want you to look at some aspects here. Face awareness. In other words, Habakkuk had not less, lost faith in the everlasting or covenant-keeping God. He would not lost faith in that at all. And he acknowledged that here. But then you see faith acceptance. Notice what he says. He said, oh Lord, my God, mine Holy One. In other words, it's it's personal here to Habakkuk. He said, listen, he said, you're an everlasting God, and you are my God. You're my Holy One. And so, listen, Habakkuk is still clinging to who God is in his own life. And Habakkuk is still clinging to faith in the character and nature of God, even though Habakkuk don't understand what God's doing. Now, here's the thing. When God works in a way that you don't understand, here's where you fall back to every time. You always fall back that God has never, ever changed. And you always fall back to the truth of God's character and God's nature. Now, what happens is God works in a way that you and I don't understand, and all of a sudden we begin to question, well, maybe God ain't. Well, I got news for you. He is and He always will be. And so you and I have to always cling to the reality that He is your God. He is your Holy One. And so you have to cling to the character and nature of God. I don't know how many times I've seen tragedies happen over the years with folks, and all of a sudden they begin to question God, and they began to question the the goodness and the mercy and the grace and the the will and the ways of God. And, And I've seen times where people just get outright bitter towards God through what took place. But i got news for you today. He is never, ever going to allow, initiate, or bring about any act to his children that is not in his perfect plan for you and me. And I want to reiterate that. Never one time will God initiate, allow, or bring about anything that's not for your good. Not one time. Now, it may not seem like it at the moment, but it is. And so Habakkuk here, in his faith to the character of God, he's aware that he's a covenant-keeping God and his acceptance of God being his. But I want you to see this awareness goes a little bit further. Look at the bottom verse 12. He says, oh, mighty God. And here's what he's saying. This is the way he translated He said, God, my rock. Not only is he accepting God as his holy one. He said, God, you're my rock. You're my stability. You're my everything. And he said, God, I, I don't understand why you're doing or what you're doing or Why you're doing what you're doing. But I just know this. You are my rock. You're everything to me. And boy, isn't that a good place to be when you don't understand what's going on? Now, I've said this this morning. I'm going to say it again. I believe with all my heart's heart that God's allowing what's going on in our country today, in our world today, to to do two things. Number one, Because I think what's going to happen is there's going to come a day that the true Christian is going to have to stand up and be accounted for. And I think what's happening is God's purging the church in America. But I want you to listen to something else. I think God's not only purging the church in America, I believe God's bringing the church in America to a place of desperation and dependence upon Him. And I believe God will continue to do that all the way until he says to his son, Son, go get your bride. Because i tell you right now, in the days we live in, if the church don't be the church in the world, we're in trouble. You see, we think, we we ask and we pray, Lord, would you change the world? Would you change our government? Would you change this? Would you change that? when the reality is we ought to pray, God, would you change us, that we could be the vessel through which the world is impacted. Do you understand today God created the church to impact the world? But instead, what's happened today is the world has impacted the church more than the church has impacted the world. And this is a picture of, of, of what God has done. He's raised up these Chaldeans, these Babylons, and He said, They're coming against you. They're going to take you out of the land. And Habakkuk says, wait a minute. God, I know you're a covenant-keeping God. I'm aware of that. I accept you're my rock. You're my holy one. But notice face acknowledgement. He said, we shall not die. So Habakkuk uses his the covenant nature of God, and said, wait a minute, God, what you're doing, don't it get against you? And then, then all of a sudden reality sets in, and Habakkuk in his faith to who God is, he acknowledges, he said, wait a minute, God, we're not going to die. You're not going to let that happen. Isn't it amazing? That no matter how it get bad it may get, in your life, my life, our lives, whatever, If you're his, if God be for you, who can be against you? And so Habakkuk here by faith, he's trusting. God, I don't understand. This is confusing to me. But I know who you are. And I accept who you are. And folks, when we get to chapter 3, the climax of a victorious call-out of Habakkuk to God comes the climax of the book, and all of a sudden Habakkuk gets the full picture, and Habakkuk accepts everything God's doing. Can I tell you that's what God's trying to do for us? Is get you and me to the place that no matter what God does, no matter how confusing it may seem to you and me, it's on the basis of the character and nature of God accepting instead of complaining about what God's doing. Circles of pastors, including myself from time to time, I'm going to be the first to confess. What I hear is complaining about this is happening and this is happening and this is happening and this is happening. And, is happening. and Listen. It ought to disturb us what's happening. Y'all say amen. Y'all say amen. Amen. But one thing God's trying to teach me is no matter how bad I see it. Now my problem is I see it worse than most people see it. You say, what do you mean? Because what most people see, they don't think it's that bad. But I see it really bad. Because what most people see as good, I don't see as good at all. What most people see as holy, I don't see as holy at all. You say, preacher, you're narrow. Yeah, I have people tell me that all the time. All I can say is thank you. Amen? But listen to me. Listen to what I'm about to say. But no matter how bad you see it, no matter how bad I see it, here's the one thing that never changes. I can focus on him and not on everything else. Are you all with me? So Habakkuk dealt with the covenant of God. Now, no, secondly, Habakkuk deals with the correction of God. Look at the bottom verse 12. He said, O oh Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. Almighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Ah, uh, here, here's, God's gonna have to do a work in Habakkuk again. He's gotta do the same thing we talked about this morning. He's gotta change his focus. Because remember, what was, what was Habakkuk's cry in verse one through four? God, Judah, there's sinning, there's violence, there's strife, there's contention. Where's your judgment? Where's your correction? Where's your chastisement? Where's you saving us and intervening for us? And now, Habakkuk, doesn't see Judah's sin anymore. Now Habakkuk says, wait a minute, God. These ones that you're raising up to come against us, they're ordained for judgment. They're ordained for your correction. And now all of a sudden, guess what? Habakkuk sees them and not himself and Judah. Let me tell you something. Was God going to deal with Babylon later on? Yes. Was God going to judge them? Yes. But can I tell you, it wasn't just Babylon that needed judgment. It was Israel's sin that brought this judgment. So in other words, he said, wait a minute. He said, you can't use them to judge us because you need to judge them. Y'all do understand. That Satan was a created being of God. Are y'all hearing me say amen? You do understand he is not eternal. He is a created being of God. Now people ask all the time, they say, wait a minute preacher, God can't have nothing to do with evil? God can't have anything to do with an evil nation rising up against, come against his people? Well, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says God cannot tempt with evil. It does not say God cannot use evil things to accomplish His perfect will. Doesn't mean God initiates it. Here's what it means. God allows it. You see, you have the perfect will of God and the permissive will of God. And many times God will allow in His permissive will things to happen in other words, he won't step in, he won't stop it, he'll allow it to happen because he knows it's going to accomplish his perfect work. Let me give you a couple examples of this, okay? How many of you agree today that God said in the Old Testament, in his prophecies, there was coming a day that God would bring Israel back to their land, to the nation of Israel? Do you all agree with that? Because all those years, what, Israel was scattered abroad. Matter of fact, Israel was not even a nation. Now, how many agree that what happened in World War II with the Nazis was absolutely wickedness to the core? But did God use it? It was through that war that Israel became a nation. It was through that war that Israel became recognized by other nations. It was through that war and through their absolute horrific Treatment by the Nazis that God brought Israel back to the land. You see, God can use anything, folks. And so, it's not when when Habakkuk said here, wait a minute, God. They're the ones marked for judgment. Well, Habakkuk, you prayed in verse 1 and 2 that Israel would be judged. But see, his perspective's changed. But not only is there a change in focus, but there's certainty in faithfulness. Because here's what he says. He said, God, you've ordained them for judgment. Thou hast established them for correction. In other words, Habakkuk saying, now wait a minute, God, you can't use this people against us. But I know you're going to judge them one day. In other words, Habakkuk never questioned whether God would actually judge them because he knew God was just and God had to judge sin. But what he couldn't understand is, wait a minute, God, how can you use someone that you're going to judge to come against us who is the apple of your eye? That's what Habakkuk couldn't understand. And so what we find here is we find not only the covenant of God that Habakkuk use, but the correction of God. But notice the character of God. Now Habakkuk goes to the character of God. And he says in verse 13, thou art purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on iniquity. Let me give you a couple of things here. The pure statement about God. God, you're holy. You're pure. You can't look upon evil. People say to me all the time, I don't understand how a God who is good and merciful and gracious can allow evil to continue. Well, can I tell you today? God is good. God is gracious. God is merciful. But God's also sovereign. And anything God allows, He has a divine purpose in it. He has a divine plan. He has a divine design through which He's going to accomplish. That's the reason Isaiah said, His ways are greater than our ways and His thoughts greater than our thoughts. Do I understand? Listen, some of the most godly people I've ever known in my lifetime. God took home at early ages. They didn't get to see their 70s and 80s and 90s. One of my dear friends, Dr. Wayne Barber, one of the greatest Christ life preachers I've ever heard in the prime of his preaching, had a surgery that went awry, and it cost him his life. And it's easy to say, well, wait a minute, God, we need men that are going to stand and tell the truth. Why would you take Dr. Wayne Barber away? But can I tell you, why ever God allowed that to happen? He had a perfect plan and a perfect purpose in it. And we may not understand it, but He does. And I can trust His character and nature in whatever He does. I mean, there's many down through the Chronicles, some that you know personally, and you, and you go, wait a minute, God, I don't understand. But here's what, here's what Habakkuk says, God... I know you're pure. I know you're holy. How can you look up on evil? How can you look up on iniquity? How can you allow a heathen people, violent people, treacherous people, to be a vessel that you use against your own people? This is what Habakkuk's confusion was. And so, he acknowledges the character of God. So this becomes a perplexing statement about God. Because here's what happened. He says, Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devours?" He said, God, it just don't seem to match. It don't seem to balance on the scales. Now, what basis is Habakkuk working from in his own mind and in his own thinking? I believe he's working from what he knew of the law of God. How many of you agree today? The law of God was very strict concerning walking in holiness. And so Habakkuk's working on the basis, wait a minute, God, you you have these ceremonial laws, you have these cleansing laws that we have to go through just that you, who is our God, could have any dealings with us. I mean, the high priest would have to go through all these rituals of sacrifices and cleansings and cleansings just to go into the Holy of Holies one time a year. So how? How can you look upon their iniquity and not only look upon it, how can you use them as a tool of grace at your disposal? But here's the reality of it, Okay. As perplexing as that may seem to us, God can allow whatever He desires to allow. And not in one even inkling of a second take away from His holiness. That's what makes God so amazing. You see... Habakkuk couldn't understand this. But see, God is not participating in their iniquity, not initiating their iniquity. God just raised up a nation, they, He was just going to let them be who they were. But God could allow these things to happen and not, in one inkling, become any less holy than He is holy of holy, of holies. Let me give you a perfect example. How many in here today before the Lord saved you? You were wretched, lost, and wicked before God. How many of you in here tonight, before God saved you, you were wretched, wicked, and lost? then how did God, through the Holy Spirit, speak to you in your lostness and maintain His holiness? Aren't you glad He did? See, this is who God is. This is the amazing part about God. Now, it perplexed Habakkuk, but this was the amazing part of God. All right, look, look fourthly. The confusion about God. Look what he says here at the bottom of this verse, verse 13. He said, you hold your tongue when the wicked devour the man that is more righteous than he is. Now, listen to me. How many agree when you get confused about things? You begin to think crookedly. Would you all agree with that? Say amen. Well, guess what? Habakkuk's thinking crooked. Because here's what's happened. In Habakkuk's confusion, you're going to see two things. He's blind to God's way. He'd understand how God works. He don't understand that God can maintain his holiness and still utilize the Chaldeans as his tool of grace. But here's what Habakkuk was really blind of. He was blind of man's wickedness. Notice what he said. He said, how can you your tongue, and use wicked people against people that are more righteous than they are. Who's he referring to? Israel, Judah. Now, wait a minute. Habakkuk, earlier you're saying, God, he said they're, they're violent, they're wicked, they're strife, they're contention. Now, all of a sudden, in light of the Chaldeans, how does he say? them? Well, you know, we're the good people, they're the bad people. How can you use the bad people to help the good people? Well, here was Habakkuk's problem. Habakkuk didn't understand that the sin of the Chaldeans, God didn't see it any different as the sin of Israel. Listen to me, church. When you and I step out in our own way, do what we want to do against what God says, When you and I do not listen and obey the voice of God as He prompts our hearts through the Word and by the Holy Spirit, in that moment, we are no different in the world. By the way, the Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. Our righteousness is not based upon who we are. It's based upon who Jesus is in us. And Habakkuk says, wait a minute, God. He said, we're righteous. And and you're going to use these folks against us that are more righteous. Oh, Habakkuk was blind to the wickedness of man. I don't know how many times I've preached meetings in different places. And they'll say, boy, preacher, I wish so-and-so was here to hear that. They needed to hear that. And I'm here going, well, I'm probably talking to the one that needed to hear it. I don't know how many times. Listen, I've had this happen hundreds of times. Well, preacher, if I had have been here, you'd have got them. Well, guess what? God had the people there. I mean, here's the thing. We say, well, well you know, I, I know, I know I'm, I'm probably not living the way I should live, but boy, I tell you right now, I live a lot better than that man down there that sits on that front row or second row or third row or fourth row. I'm not going to identify anybody. Y'all say amen. Whatever row. I know he, that man that sits over on that row, 18th row from the back. I hope there ain't 18 rows. I don't know how many rows there are. Anyway, I know I live a lot better than he does. And see, what we do is we, we take our sin, we lay it off on other people's sin so we can make ourselves feel better about ourselves. See, it's what Habakkuk's saying. Habakkuk's saying, wait a minute, God, I know, we, I know we've sinned. I, I know we're not doing good. But these folks, you can't use these folks. Like I said this morning, it's like Habakkuk's going to God. Are you serious? <laughs> it's amazing. But not only Habakkuk's confusion, but Habakkuk's conclusion. Look what he says in verse 14, in the beginning of verse 15. And make us men as fishes of the sea, and creeping things that have no ruler over him. They take up all of them with the angle and catch them in their net. Here's what Habakkuk says. He said, God, if you allow this, he said, we as Judah, we're going to be like fishes in a sea and we're going to be helpless and we're not going to have any defense and we can't stand up against these of the Chaldeans. They're much stronger and mightier and vicious than we are and we're going to be like fishes. And here's what he says. Here's the amazing statement he made. He said, we're going to be like fishes in the ocean and we're going to be like a people that it's going to proceed, we don't have a ruler. We don't have anybody guarding us, controlling us, governing us. We're just going to be absolutely without strength, without help, without hope. But can I tell you today, that's exactly what God was trying to do. Because God had to get Israel to the end of themselves before they would ever see their sin and ever come to a place of repentance. God had to get them helpless. One of the greatest acts of love God will ever do for you and for me is get you and me to the place where you see that without God, I am nothing. Because what did God say to Israel over and over again? If you obey my voice, if you obey my word, He said no enemy can come against you. Isn't that what He promised Israel? No enemy will come against you. I will go before you. I will go with you. I will fight your battles for you. I will bring victory when there is to be no victory. If you'll just walk in my ways. But if you don't. And here's the reality of what goes on today. God has given us the whole sufficiency of the Lord Jesus when God saved us. It's all at our disposal. We can walk in it. We can experience it. We can know it. We can live it. But if we're not yielded and surrendered to him, we grieve and quench the Holy Spirit and those things God has given us promises God's made to us. We'll never know them. We'll never live them out. And then we're going to experience defeat after defeat after defeat. Temptation. Then all of a sudden, here's what's going to happen, folks. Listen. Someone's going to say something to you that normally doesn't bother you a bit. But this day, you're so out of fellowship with God that it curls your hair because we become successful and we're not walking in what God's given us. God's got to get us to a place of dependence. Well, Habakkuk's confession. Look at the bottom verse 15. And gather them in their drag, and they rejoice and are glad. What's one of the admonitions God gave to Israel? Rejoice. Be glad in the Lord. So in other words, Israel, as you're walking in my ways, and you're walking in my word, and I'm doing these mighty works among you, he says, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice! And be glad. But watch. Israel's turned their back on God. And here's what Habakkuk said. He said, the Chaldeans, they're going to be like a mighty fisherman. They're going to pull a net in and it's going to be so full of fish, they can't hardly get it in the boat without the net breaking. And when they finally get it in the boat, they to stand up and go, glory! Look what we did! Look what we did! Look what we did! And they're going to be so proud Of their conquest. When Israel should have been so praised. Such have an attitude of praise. Towards God. God's doing a work. Not only their pride, but their praise. Watch what it says. Therefore they sacrifice under their net and burn incense under their dress. The Chaldeans were in great victory. Who do they praise? Idols. The idols that they account for their great catch. You say, why is that important? Because Israel's turned their face away from God. To worship idols. Now get the picture. Here's what Habakkuk's saying. God, you know what they're going to do. You know how ridiculous this is. That when they catch us in the net and they win their victory, they're going to praise their idols. God, that's ridiculous. But yet Judah's doing the same thing. You see how it he works here. Well, let me show you the last thing, and I'm done. Habakkuk's concern: Shall they? Now, I believe Habakkuk's really, really concerned because he don't know the answer. He says, "Shall they empty their net and not spare the continuing to slay the nation?" See, Habakkuk a minute ago, he said, listen, we're not going to die. But now Habakkuk begins to think more and more about this whole situation. And if you'll let me paraphrase, here's what Habakkuk's saying. He says, God, how long are you going to let this last? You've already said what you're going to do. But how long? Are you going to let it last? How many of you agree that through Joseph, God brought Israel to Egypt for the development of the nation? Do y'all agree with that? Say amen. In other words, in Egypt, they were received the most fertile ground of the king. And now having the most fertile ground, they began to prosper. They began to grow. They had everything they needed from a provision standpoint. And what happened when all that happened? Was Egypt where God wanted His people to be? No, God said, I've got a land for you. Do y'all agree with that? Say amen. So God says, all right, guys. It's time to go. Israel said, are you serious? Look what we got. Look at the resources we have. Look at the savings we built up. Look at our barns, they're full. Look at our crops, they're prosperous. We're not going anywhere. We like it here. You say, did Israel say it? Yes, that's what they said. God said, okay. So he kills that Pharaoh. Raises up another Pharaoh. This Pharaoh was threatened by Israel. And this Pharaoh saw, well, there's only one or two things. Either we get at them in objection, or they're going to overthrow the kingdom because they're becoming a mightier people than we are. So this Pharaoh puts taskmasters over them. And now, instead of laboring in the fields for their own gain, instead of laboring in the fields for their own prosperity, now they're laboring harder and harder but now for not for their own prosperity, but for the prosperity of a wicked king. You say, why would God do that? Because Israel become comfortable with what they had, And God said, if, I, if that's where you're at, I only have one choice. I got to make you uncomfortable. I say it this way, God turned up their nest. Now, what does that mean? Well, when a mother eagle, when it's time for the babies to get out of the nest, they build them nests way up in them trees, and then babies will step out on the edge of the nest and they'll look down and say, nope, not going to do that today. They get back in their nest. Why? It's comfortable. I mean, the mother brings the food to them. I mean, they don't have to worry about anything. They have everything they want. So here's what the mother does when she knows it's time. She takes her her claws, and she takes those sticks that she had so formed and made such a comfortable nest out of, and she begins to poke them up like it. And all through that nest, those sharp little points of those sticks are pointing up. And all of a sudden, those young little eaglets, they began to try to sit in that nest. Ooh, can't do that. Are y'all hearing me say amen? So now they step out on the edge. And they go, well, boy, John, boy, that's a long ways down there. I ain't going back to that. That hurts. And all of a sudden, they get up enough courage to jump out of that nest. And when they opened their wings, they found out the whole time they could have flew. Watch it. Because when you get comfortable with your own way of doing things and your own way of thinking, God will turn your nest up. With Israel as the Chaldeans, what's God going to have to use in your life? One of the greatest manifestations of God's love Did that mother eagle, did she hate those young eagles? No. She loved them. And she made it to where the only thing they could do was fly. God knows you'll never survive. If you're not in dependence, obedience, and surrender to Him. You'll never survive living in the Christian life as God provided for you. And so God may not use Chaldeans in our life. But he may use a president in your life. He may use a china in our lives. He may turn the nest up in your pocketbook. And you may say, why God? I don't understand why you're letting this happen. And God from heaven is just going to wait until you, like Israel, had to get, after they spent a good while in Babylonian captivity, they repented, and God brought them back to the land. That's how God works. That's how much God loves you. And that's who God is. Amen? Father, I love you, I praise you, and I thank you. Father, I don't know what you've said tonight to each individual heart. But Father, maybe there's individuals in here today that you're already turning up their nest. Maybe you've already turned it up. They don't have any peace. Don't have any joy. There's just no rest in their life. Maybe, Father, you've got them to the point of standing at the edge of that nest and looking over that nest. Maybe for somebody in here, they realize that what's over that nest is their salvation, but, Father, they got to yield themselves to you and trust you in repentance and faith. But maybe there's others in this place that they stand at the edge of the nest and they realize that to come out of that nest is to trust you in their circumstances, in their worries, in their concerns. Maybe others, it's to trust you in the provision you've given them that they could walk in the fullness of God in their life. Father, whatever it is, I wonder how many in here tonight would take the leap of faith, spread their wings like eagles, as Isaiah says, and just trust you. In Jesus' holy, precious, and mighty name, and all God's children said,